Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. What is that? It's the quartet. Oh. You know, I have sung that before, and the reason I don't remember it is because the mezzo literally just like sings the fifth the entire time to make sure the chords filled out. That's literally her part. Magdalena, right? Yep. She doesn't it's, have a great part. She doesn't have a great opera. part in a whole opera. It kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. So what opera are we talking about? Anybody that's wondering, <laughs> that is what is known as the Rigoletto Quartet, which is, of course, from the opera Rigoletto, by Giuseppe Verdi. <gasps> Joe Green. Had its premiere in 1851. Look at you, Kyle. busting up the facts. Um, and I'm going to say libretto by... Libretto by Francesco Maria Piave. You are totally reading Wikipedia. Are you right reading now. Wikipedia right now? No, I'm not. But I just gave a lecture on Traviata. And <gasps> That's so... right, Kyle. Why don't you you take the lead on this and you walk everybody through Traviata? Because now you know everything there possibly is to know about it. <laughs> no, we already did we... that. We already did that. Remember, I was really obnoxious in the episode. Like, like kind of know-it-all-y oh, that's true. in the Traviata episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about us? Wow. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I haven't eaten a whole lot today, so I'm already <laughs> drunk. I I apologize for trying to insert the little knowledge that I do have. No, I, I like it when you say stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so yes, we listened in the intro to the famous Rigoletto Quartet, uh, which is a wonderful piece, and and I feel like people get to hear it more often than they might otherwise because that's a common uh, quartet to hear in like a recital program or definitely an, mm-hmm. like an opera scenes program because it's something that a lot of singers know, like right. they keep and in their repertoire. I feel like a lot of people program that on concert programs or opera scenes because it's a quartet that has tenor, mezzo, soprano baritone bass baritone like it basically hits the major vocal part so like everybody gets a little something something yes also it's featured in that movie called the quartet oh that movie is great it's amazing i haven't seen that movie what movie it's called the quartet Quartet. it's called the quartet it's sort of loosely based on a true story in that there existed this i guess old folks community cut it's Casa Verdi, right? Yes. So this this does oh. actually exist. For anybody that doesn't know, we've ever not actually we've never done an episode on Verdi because his life for the most part was not very scandalous, and we enjoy more scandalous things here. Um, he did have a lot of tragedy in his life early on, yes. where his wife and and a number of his children passed away within a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. But he, once he became famous, put aside a bunch of money, and there's um this home in Italy, and I do think it's still there called the Casa Verdi, and it was designed solely as a retirement home for singers and musicians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so this movie um, takes place in the Casa Verde. They call it something different. And like Maggie Smith is in it. And oh God, Billy Connolly and all these other people. It's so good. It's so good. You know, they're all like in their 80s. Some of them are in their 90s. Like Gwyneth Jones, the opera singer Gwyneth Jones is in it. And she does sing and you're just like, shit, she still got it. Nice. And it's all about what a life as a a musician is like, especially for a singer where you have a very finite period where you can like make music at the top of your game. And then it ends with this concert they do every year. And they sing the the Rigoletto Quartet. And there's this really beautiful scene with Maggie Smith sitting there and she plays a recording of herself, quote unquote, from her younger years. And it's Joan Sutherland. Mm. Um, And it's just so beautiful and sad. And I really recommend it if you can find it. I'm sure you can probably rent it on Amazon at this point. It came out, what, like- I need to watch this. Four or five years ago. It's really good. It's really funny and really sweet. And And it's a great movie. Maggie Smith's character- had this like torrid love affair with a conductor, right? And in their younger years, and then she ended up leaving him and like breaking his heart, and so like the two of them never performed together again. Mm. And there was this like major, I guess, rift between them. And then they end up like at the same home spontaneously, oh. and or at, both living at Casa Verde, and it's like a big deal. But they obviously still love each other, so it's oh. like a really cute. Did they get back together? Really cute you'll have to watch you have to watch it to find out i really i'm gonna watch this soon i you should it's really charming i really like the the mezzo sissy yes so so cute i feel like i read uh when doing research pretty recently that verdi i think his his remains are now out at this actual place this actual like senior home for former musicians oh really oh i didn't know that totally possible i think so (laughs) We'll have to yeah, validate. Yeah. I think he was. What I read was that he originally was buried in Milan, um, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. later his remains were moved to the Casa Verdi or whatever it's actually right. called. So Verdi tried to make it as a composer, was not having an enormous amount of success. Was like, I don't know about this, and then he got commissioned, and he wrote this opera called Nabucco. Yeah, he did. And people were like, "What?" And they went fucking crazy for it. And then Verdi became. Verdi, right? Um, he was gonna give up. He was gonna give up. His first two were like a total flop, and his wife and two children died, died yeah. all at the same time. Exactly. Right. What was it like, Attila or something like that? Which is I'd- Un giorno di regno was the, yes. s- right. was the second one, King right, for right. a day, and that was intended to be a comedy. And of course, that his his wife died. Right. Yeah. While he was composing it, so not that funny. Um, and then he didn't set music to another comedy for like. 60 years or like or almost yeah. 60 years right not until his very very last opera right right which is Falstaff uh-huh. right so he he said I'm gonna give it one more shot he wrote uh, he wrote Nabucco people went nuts for it mm-hmm. um if you don't know Nabucco the very famous thing from it is the chorus of the Hebrew slaves correct um Vapentiero. do you want to listen to some of it right now or do you guys want to do it you guys can just do it I'm just gonna talk over it keep going no no let's listen to it this is <laughs> This is the chorus of the Hebrew slaves. We'll talk about it a little bit more after we listen to some of it.
Guys, your tempo is a little too slow. Sorry. Hang up. Yeah, so then can either of you mention like the other significance that the chorus of the Hebrew slaves had in real life Italy? Well, a lot of people say that he was basically using the story of Nabucco as an allegory for uh, supporting the idea of Italy being enslaved and wanting to like petition for Italy's political freedom like as a country to actually unite because up until that point all the little principalities were all separately ruled and Italy wasn't officially a country mm-hmm. yet. Right. So Verdi was very supportive of the idea of Italian nationalism. Right. And so there a lot of people think that Nabucco is this huge allegory for different political ideas in Italy at the time. Right. right. And one of the reasons that that chorus became so popular is people really took it on as like the anthem of Italy, right, you right. know, at that time. And it's said that when Verdi died, when his casket was like carried through the streets of Milan, like the crowd sang right. that. That's the story. I don't think that actually is true, but oh, it is a nice really? story. Yes. Oh. There's a lot of debate about whether or not that, that actually happened. But it's it's a nice it's a nice mm-hmm. idea. It's a nice idea. I read yeah. that that was like one of the largest gatherings in like ever in Italy, like largest public gatherings was the funeral procession for Verdi. I mean, it might have been. By the time he died, he was, you know, a national icon. Definitely. The Beyonce of of 19th century Italy. Right, (laughs) right. And he didn't die. He died in the 20th century, 1901. He did. He did. And he lived a pretty long time. He was in his his 80s, right? Yes. So it's pretty, pretty amazing because there's people, like singers, who ended up recording in the age of recording that actually, like had Verdi's input right, on they how they were with him, yeah. interpreting his music, which is That's pretty nuts. cool. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Also, like, we all lived in the same century as Verdi. What? We pretty did. cool. We did. Technically, that that is true. That's a thing. That so anyway, true. at this point, in, uh, in like, 1850, 1851, Verdi is, you know, Verdi with the capital V. He's super famous. He can do whatever he wants, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever he wants, right? So um, the opera house in Venice, La Fenice, is like, hey, man, we want you to write something for us. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. Um, and so he worked with, initially with Piave on a different libretto, right? I think so. That sounds right. It was this uh, this play called Keen by uh, Alexander Dumas. Pierre, not Alexander Dumas Fee. So as, the father. Right. Alexander Dumas Fee wrote... The book that Traviata is based on. Correct. Uh, and Alexander Dumas, Père, the Dada, um, wrote Three Musketeers. Right, right. Oh. Right? Yeah. Right? Okay. Just to put that all in perspective, right? All factual. And so they looked at this script for this play that I know absolutely nothing about as a possible subject for an opera, but ultimately decided that they needed something with like... More action. A little more action in it. Energy. A little less conversation. A little, a little more zest. A little less conversation. A little more action. A little more action. Yes. Something like that. If you please. Right. Well, something like that. <laughs> um, but it was great because at that point in his life, basically these companies just gave him money and they're like, whatever you want to do is fine with us. So they had the freedom to sort of pick whatever they felt like writing, yeah. which is, you know, a beautiful position to be in. Totally. So they ended up, uh, they wanted to write an operatic version of this play. 
um, this French play called Ooh. La Roi Samuse. La Roi Samuse. Oh, the king. The Roi. Oh, the king's amusement. The king's amusement. Right. right. King's amusement. Yes. Um, and so this play was, it's basically the plot of Rigoletto, but instead of a duke, it was a king. And obviously the censors were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so they changed, they changed a bunch of things to make right. it slightly more palatable at the time. Because we can't have kings seen as like these lecherous murderers, mm-hmm. right? Um, the play that this was based on is actually written by Victor Hugo, famous for... Les Mis. Mm-hmm. Took me a second. Les Miserables oh, right, and right. The Hunchback of Notre right. Dame. I dreamed a dream of time gone by. Oh. When hope was high and life worth living. Anyway, so, so Verdi, Amusement yeah. of the King by Victor Hugo. The censors made a bunch of changes so that it wouldn't offend any royalty or give the populace some kind of assassination ideas or anything like that. Right, because the play itself was based on a cynical womanizing king, and it was based on actually Francis I of France. Oh. And so the censors were like, you can't do that. Um, oh. So they changed it up, made him a duke, so it was slightly less controversial. Right, and then... Our title character, Rigoletto. Is a, a gesture, a court gesture. Yes, a court gesture. Yes. Uh, with mm-hmm. A type of physical deformity. And I feel like in productions of it I've seen recently, it's not, at least to me, hugely obvious. Right, it's not overly pronounced. He's, they usually make him look older, like mm-hmm. with less hair and just kind of a bit of an awkward walk or something like right. that. Right, and they might do like a little... Right. Mm-hmm. But I think they try and make it look slightly more realistic. Then you see, like, pictures in the past of, like, I don't know, Jose Van Damme with, like, this huge... Like, abscess on his back or something. Ab- yeah, like yeah. um, like uh, like Marty Feldman in um, Young Frankenstein. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> what a good movie. What a good movie. Igor. Igor. <laughs> uh... Okay, so... Anyway... <laughs> He starts working on this, and he's under, like, a pretty tight deadline, so they're a month away from when the premiere was supposed to happen. Wait, it's a month out, and it's still not done? Yeah, actually, the singers haven't seen it yet. Nope. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> and so they actually started designing the sets before he finished writing Act 3. <laughs> um, <laughs> the singers were given some of their music, but you will- Well, that doesn't seem sound so off from- The norm. The norm, what kind of happens right. today. I have a friend that's actually going to Seattle for a production, and I think the production is in a month, and they just got the music. Oh, nice. That's frightening. Oh, uh, that That's fun. And it's like a show with like three characters, me. so I'm, everyone's I'm not got a lot to do. Yeah. I was never a quick right. learn when it came to learning music. No, it's so really that scary. terrifies me. I was me. never a quick memorize. Like, I was very good at learning the basics quickly, but performing from memory took a while. No. So. Yeah. I heard, and I don't know that this is substantiated, but I heard that the music for the most famous aria of this opera, La Donna Immobile, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wasn't given to the tenor until the day before. Well, yeah, because Verdi didn't want anybody hearing it and, like, his melody getting leaked early. Right. Exactly. Apparently that was a problem where like Verdi would hear people singing his music or playing his music in the streets before the opera ever premiered. Verdi is the Beyonce 
of nineteenth century Italy. Right. <laughs> he's got he can't he can't Although, drop that album until he's ready for it. Yeah. Right. Well Beyonce leaked it'll her get own leaked. album, right? She did leak her own album because otherwise she wouldn't have control over it. And Verdi did the same thing. So there's a whole precedence for this. Stands by my theory, Verdi is Beyonce. The end. <laughs> Reincarnated. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, that would be great. I wouldn't say that. No. But Another fun fact related to this, like there was actually a huge issue with like pirate scores in the 19th century where like, <gasps> right, yeah, I remember people, this. like people's job was to like go to the opera on opening night and transcribe as much of the opera as they could remember. <laughs> and then there'd be like rogue pirate printing presses sending out fake versions of the score where the melody was mostly correct, but like the orchestration was like, ah, uh, sort of. yeah, yeah. You know, and so there's a huge culture of this at the time. So they had legit reasons to be like worried about their music being ripped off before the opera even made its premiere. That's crazy. Nice. You think there would be ushers that would be like, there's a man with 400 pages of blank manuscript paper. (laughs) who's like scribbling furiously while the opera is happening. Well, you would think that, but like, weren't people like gambling and like having sex in the boxes and stuff like that? So like how... Drinking mochas. Having sex in the boxes. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pull the curtain, Kyle, and you got your own little private space. Oh, my gosh. We need to do a full episode on illicit behavior during opera performance practice yeah (laughs) audience behavior i mean i don't know that much about it and i don't know how much legitimate sources there are you'd have to do a lot of digging to find like testimonials about it but i do know that that's basically how rossini made a living in the beginning was instead of having sex with people no (laughs) (laughs) score was was getting he was he would get a cut of the gambling proceeds i i heard a story um you know, I won't say who I heard it from, but somebody who spent a lot of time going to the Met over many, many years about how one of his friends would like bring a full recorder into the opera house with him and like would record performances from the from the audience. Yes. Ugh, like I do not care for that. And these were in the days of like like record players <laughs> when you didn't serious like a giant apparatus like <laughs> something that you had to like sh- like strap to your body just so you could come in and record how did that get how do they like get in with I, nobody i think i know who you're talking about and he told me that at one point he strapped a like sony beta recorder to his leg like under right. his pants and brought it into the opera oh house. my god i mean yeah. sure at that point <laughs> whatever if you're that fucking dedicated go for it man i mean but i mean just think i mean it, it, it they're going to a greater length physically but today there's a much larger precedent for people just ripping off music anyways and also it has led to this kind of like amazing bootlegged archive of live performances that we would not True. have otherwise so to hear voices kind of in their natural habitat for lack of a better word right because not all these performances we're recording. Get recordings, you yeah. know? Right. I mean, more so now that we have, like, the technology for something like that to happen extremely easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, digital recording makes it possible to, like, capture, like, a rough draft of any performance. Sure. But you would have had to do so much back then 
to do to store the same kind yeah, of yeah exactly and I feel like today like the Met for example probably like just records everything I'm sure they do because yeah. for like posterity for their archives if yeah. nothing else because it's a very easy thing to do now mm-hmm. yes but yeah back then people were like smuggling in like tiny little gramophones <laughs> cranking it through the performance wax cylinders wax cylinders <laughs> uh, now I'm envisioning somebody at like I don't know turn of the century or before where you know those like early like almost like grinder things like with the wheel and it had Hurdy the little paper. Hurdy yeah, the, gurdy! <laughs> the paper with the little notches in it that like as like it a player piano. This, yes, yes. Yeah. Like I imagine somebody in there that's like listening and like poking holes in a paper, you know, and trying to <laughs> <laughs> like something that's not really possible, but would right. be hilarious. For people who don't know what we're talking about, it's like the opening credits of Westworld goes to the opera. Right. Some people don't watch Westworld. That is true. I, I do not. All this to say it features a player piano heavenly or heavily in the opening credits. <laughs> it's a heavenly it's a it's heavenly, a heavenly player, piano. player piano. It's usually decidedly not <laughs> heavenly, but <laughs> anyway. That's... I feel like everybody pretty much knows the plot of Rigoletto. Um so we can probably barrel through it pretty quickly. Naomi, do you want to talk about any other interesting historical fact about this opera before we like really quickly dig into the plot? Well, I think that generally it's just important to know that people consider this a major turning point in Verdi's output. Mm -hmm. He broke with a lot of conventions in a way or experimented with conventions that he would ultimately take to the extreme. So there's a lot more continuity between scenes. Mm -hmm. Like even though there are some very popular and very obvious arias and duos and ensembles. A lot of tunes. There's a lot of popular tunes. Um, he was experimenting with longer structures in this, and it was very successful. And it right, also from the get go, right? From the get go, right. like from from opening onward, it was pretty much a box office success. It was the Black Panther of eighteen fifty one. Yes. <laughs> and, and the I'm op- just giving people. Context. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And the the other element of this that I think is interesting is that he did experiment with a version of a reoccurring musical idea. So throughout... Like a leitmotif? Sort of like a leitmotif, but just one in the opera. Uh, was it... What was it? The leitmotif of fate? Uh, no. Death, love, madness. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get it. Um, Despair. No. Hopelessness. No. Uh, revenge. Good times. No. <laughs> and no. Jealousy. No. Um, Lust. No. Mm, give us a clue. In Italian, it's called la maledizione. Poison? Oh, like bad. Badness? Something. Evil. Close. Um, <laughs> oh, maliciousness. No. <laughs> it, 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 in English, we call it the curse. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. right. Yes. Shit. So what does the curse theme sound like? Let's listen to the curse theme. Here it is. Here it is. Thank you. 
So, yeah. Anyway, so big smashing success still to this day. People come out to see Rigoletto all over the world. Um, right. So let's jump in and do the plot really fast. I feel like everyone I... must know this for God's sake, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's not that hard of a plot, but there is some twists and turns. And also, this is an opera where people, you have to suspend your disbelief. Every opera, you have to suspend your disbelief. So just roll with it. Roll with it. So So, there's a duke. This takes place in Mantua in Italy. Yes. Um, It's set in the 16th century, but it doesn't matter. Set it whenever. No one cares. Uh, Well, people care. I don't care. I don't care. I'll go out there on a limb. So so recent. I feel like people care. Some people care. Right. I do not. Recently, the Met set this opera in like 1960s Las Vegas, like Rat Pack. Yeah, they did. And it's fun. Uh, I love it. I will say that confidently. I like it. I think I think that it, it works. It's very glitzy. It's lots of bright lights. Lots of neon. Yeah. Right. But as we all know, a lot of people really don't like it. And they're not shy about telling us that. Which is fine. But, but I think it's I think it's fun. Yes. Right. I like it. Okay, so we're in the 16th century, Mantua. There's a duke. There's a duke. He's a douche. He's a douchebag. Yes, he's, he's young. He's young-ish. Mm-hmm. He's super hot. Think like, oh, God, I got nothing. But, like, who's a super attractive, like, really famous dude who could basically, like, waltz into any situation and be like, you come here, and whoever would be like, yes. Insert your own hot bad boy yes. Whoever you whoever want. You whoever think revs of. your engine. Yes. Gives you, as someone in college referred to it as the screaming thigh sweats, that and, guy. Oh God. And and <laughs> as you're getting as you're getting that person in your mind, I think we should listen to his first aria that comes very early in the yes. opera. Questo Oquella. He's basically like I'm the duke. I'm the shit. This woman, that woman, it don't matter. Right. Everyone loves me and I love everyone. I, I don't like commitment because I am a man child. Yeah. I think the crazy thing, so Cuesto Aquela is such a catchy aria. It's real fucking so catchy. So it's amazing that within this one opera, yeah, in this one opera, it's like the duke's second most catchy aria. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of good, a lot of good tunes. A lot of tunes in this. A lot of fucking tunes. He's a hit maker, that Verdi. Questa quella per me pari sono a quant'altre d'intorno, d'intorno mi vedo. Del mio cuore l'impero non cedo, meglio ad una che ad altra beltà. La costoro avvenenza è quel dono di che il fato rinfiora la vita. Anyway, so it opens, the Duke sings a song where he's like, this is what I'm like, I am the worst. Um, And he has somebody in his court called Rigoletto, who he basically emotionally and physically abuses mm-hmm. for his own amusement. Um, horrible because, person. Horrible person. He does have um, a disability. In most productions, he has... Rigoletto has... Rigoletto has, like, a hunch. Yes. 
But so the Duke mocks him. Everyone in the court mocks him. And they're kind of like, dance, deformed man, dance. Right, dance, monkey, dance. Right? Mm-hmm. So Rigoletto comes on stage and he gets mocked and he kind of like... Tries to hold his own against all of these people. Right. But it doesn't go that well. Yeah, no dignity in the job. So he gets laughed at, and, and then everyone starts to make fun of Rigoletto and kind of gossiping about him behind his back, because they're like, we hear that Rigoletto has a lover. Who would ever has be Has a lady him? on the side. And the Duke's like, that's bullshit. No one would ever fuck Rigoletto. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they follow him, right? To put yeah. it plainly. They follow him back to his house, and all of a sudden, the Duke sees this beautiful, Gorgeous this beautiful woman. creature before him. And it's Rigoletto's daughter. Where's yeah. Rigoletto's wife? Dead, I'm assuming. Right. I guess so, yes. But She's then dead. we have to assume that somebody did have sex with Rigoletto if he has a daughter. So, hey. That is how that stuff works, Kyle. Yes. Right. I'm just saying. He showed them. <laughs> this is true. I guess, yes. That, Although that, he... that is true. <laughs> I mean, she, yeah, he, yeah. she showed them. So basically, he has this daughter that he keeps hidden away from everyone, which is just like not a way to live your life. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Her name is Gilda. Gilda. Mm-hmm. Gilda. So the Duke sees her and he's like, hmm. Most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I want Interesting. her. The most beautiful thing I've ever seen this week. Um, yes. Right. He's like, right. this looks like a fun challenge. Yeah. So Count Monterone, who's like one of the people in the court, he like bursts onto the scene and he basically accuses the Duke of seducing his daughter. Definitely happened. And then. Because all women are powerless in the face of Justin Bieber. <laughs> slash the duke <laughs> wasn't there something that happened before this didn't they like kidnap his kidnap jilda like it happens later that happens, happens later oh my bad spoilers Oops. oops oopsies yeah. Shh, spoilers they they can't kidnap her until he's seen her <laughs> right 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 and so right. so Thank monterone you. comes on he's like he confronts the duke he's arrested and then before being led away to prison monterone Curses the Duke for attacking his daughter. Montrone is a base. I think so, yeah. So it's like, maledizione. <laughs> and the curse terrifies Rigoletto, who is already superstitious because Rigoletto feels like he has a curse upon him. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he feels like the curse was laid on all of them. And Rigoletto's like, now I have to live with this curse. Right. So the, the the scene ends with Rigoletto being terrified by this curse. He does sort of provoke Monterone. And Rigoletto, even though everyone makes fun of him, is still part of this inner circle. I guess that's true. That yeah. does sort of facilitate all of this um, seduction slash raping that I'm sure is happening. Yeah. Um, I right. mean, you know that I'm right, right? Yeah. 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 This is not a man who confirms consent before he goes in, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Anywho. So he, but Rigoletto fun guy. obviously feels guilty because he feels like the curse also applies to him. Mm-hmm. Which it kind of yeah. obliquely it, it, does, yes. right? Yeah, it does. Right. Okay, so then, curtain. Curtain. Scene two. <laughs> <laughs> you guys in your curtains. It turns out... That Gilda. Gilda, the innocent virginal daughter of Rigoletto who has been hidden away for all eternity and has no social skills, <laughs> has met a man. She has met a man and she thinks the man is like a lowly poet or something like that. He's like a student. A student. His name yeah. is Guatemalde. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I met on the street and she's like, he's so wonderful. Sure. And kind. And loving. And, and delightful. I, I love him. And then yeah. happens, would you say this is the second most popular tune in this opera? 
Um, probably, or, yeah, probably. No, 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 no. It's a very popular soprano art. No, Mrs. in the Second? It's not number one. Oh, well, I guess. Caronome. If I'm thinking. Caronome. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, if I had to order them, well, you're right. It's probably second. I think it's second. La Donna Immobile, number one. Yes. Caronome, number two. The Quartet. Caronome, and then Questo Aquello. Well, wouldn't the Quartet go before? Okay. And then Questo Aquello. Sure, fine. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, all right. So then happens a real fucking famous. I would almost say this is the second most famous soprano aria, the first one being O mio fucking Babino Caro. Um, <laughs> Let us so know how you really sings feel. this whole aria. Where, so the Duke disguised as this lowly student. like Because he knows how to seduce a woman. Yeah. He knows what she's looking after. So he presents himself as this very sort of innocent, bumbling, poor student. Yeah. Right? And he's like, I, I saw you and I fell in love with you. And they've like met in secret. Out she's like, ooh. Through the gates of the garden. <laughs> and then she's like, what is your name? And he says, my name is Guadier Malde. And then, and then she she she's like, Guadier And then... Not a soprano. I don't need to know this. Right. So nobody pass judgment on the fact that I do not know the fucking words to the intro <laughs> of Caronome. But once Caronome begins... You know the words. Caronome. We don't know the words. Kyle. What? No, that's later. You got to ornament it later. Everybody in the audience is like, oh, honey. I know. And right. like well, the, well, let's listen to someone yes. actually sing and it And just well. listen to like the way he <laughs> writes it. He actually does write rests in between all right. the so notes. So it feels very like breathless. Like breathless and exciting. Excitement. Yeah. Who should we listen to sing this? Biatch. Deanna Dana. Sure, fine. I was going to say Joan Sutherland, but whatever. I was going to take it old school. I, I like Let's see Anna Damrow it. Kyle's not even paying attention.
So what happens after Caronome? Well, it's kind of like while Caronome is happening, uh-huh. Rigoletto is sort of like, I guess, not in a bar, but... Um, the 16th century equivalent of a bar. <laughs> the, yes. the public house? Yes, I guess so. Um, but out, Well, he's actually walking home and then outside of his house, somebody approaches him and it's actually a hitman that goes by the name... Sparafucile. 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 And he sings a bunch of real low notes. Real basic. Like D's. Yeah, he's got some good D's. He does. Got some good D's. In the morning, like a... I got good D's, and sometimes I got C's, so. Nice. You gotta yeah. be like Elspeth in the morning to sing Sparafucile. You gotta be like Elspeth in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... So he talks to Sparafucile. This is Rigoletto is talking yeah, to Sparafucile. Yeah, well, is just sort of hanging out in a very creepy manner. He's loitering, and then he's like, <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. Sup? You need, you need some help? I can help you. Right. And Rigoletto's like, I don't need help with anything. I'm fine. And he's like, you're going to need help with some stuff. Trust me. Right. And then- you're, you're hanging out with that Justin Bieber guy. We're hanging out with you're- that Justin Bieber guy, right? And that, that, that girl's your kid, right? Yeah, you're going to need some help. You're going to need a friend. <laughs> and Rigo's Rigoletto's like, oh, you're talking about me. Stranger danger. And Spadafuchili's like, just remember me. And remember, I can I can be a friend to you. Right? And then he leaves. Remember me. It's like, the base. <laughs> Everybody's like, foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. But that moment always gets a ton of applause in the opera when he does his super low note. It does. It's really, it's really impressive. It's, it's really usually, impressive. He holds that low note that he exits on for Forever. like so long. And look, you know what? You got it. You flaunt it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Let's listen to that right now just so we can hear it.
cool. All right, so he's he's left. He's got cojones. <laughs> yes. Right. He sung his he sung his loan out. I will say out. about Rigoletto, subtle it is not. Right. But then is opera subtle? No. No. It's either very literal or very obtuse. Anywho. So then. So then, Rigoletto's like, huh? Maybe we're more alike than I think. And he sings an aria called Parisiamo. Which is not that popular. No, but it's like a little like mini aria, like a Right. So Rigoletto says Sparfucile is like a hitman that kills people with his sword or his gun or his blade, whatever. And Rigoletto is known for being very witty and he kills people with like his sharp Cutting wit. Cutting you know? Remarks. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, We're mm-hmm. more similar than maybe I first thought kind of thing. So he sings this little aria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Okay, so then... Um, There's a big duet, right? Well, that's actually... We went kind of out of order. In scene two, Sp- the Sparta Fucile Rigoletto confrontation happens first. Then the Duke, like, appears to Gilda and, like, hides in the garden. And he overhears Gilda saying how she had met this cute boy. And then... He's like, hey, girl. They have their whole... Cardonome moment. You're my best friend. Then. Girl, you're my love. We've been. Yes. I just want you to know that I will always love you. Oh, baby. Don't so. go, girl. <laughs> so, okay. So, I'm gonna always love yes. you, girl. Okay. So. The Duke leaves. Gilda sings her aria, Cardonome, about how much in love with this poor student she this, is. This poor student, air quotes. Then uh, Rigoletto comes back and the all of the people of the court have been spying on him and following him home. And they see this like beautiful woman in the garden with Rigoletto and they're like, haha, we've seen, we find out who his mistress is. Right. We're going to kidnap her. Because that's the normal reaction. Yeah, right. so they... In a situation like that. Like, while Rigoletto is distracted, they, like, essentially throw a bag over Gilda's head. And, and they kidnap her. Kidnap her. And then Rigoletto's like, hey, who are you kidnapping? And they're like, oh, just some countess. We're playing a joke on somebody. So they're like, hey, Rigoletto, can you hold this ladder while we go kidnap this person? And he's like, yeah, sure. Because I'm complicit in all your actions. Right. And so then he actually, like, does help in the kidnapping of his own daughter and doesn't know it. Um, right. Unfortunate. And then they all, so they carry away Gilda and Rigoletto, who somehow was blindfolded this whole time. He agreed to help with the ladder while blindfolded. It's a toxic environment. Right. Yes. So his daughter's been carried away in a bag and everyone's gone. He's left alone on stage. And then he takes his blindfold off and he's like, oh, no. He's like, what's happening? Only in an opera would you ever say the phrase... So he was blindfolded and his daughter got carted off in a bag. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then he takes the blindfold off and he's like, no. no. He pulls a Darth Vader. Yes. No. And he collapses in despair. And he's like, this is all because of the old man's curse at the beginning. That's bad. Flames, flames, flames. I'm sorry. Am I irritating you no but there's certain things that can be edited out and certain things that cannot i never wish to be edited (laughs) 
That Darth Fair Vader enough. no was intended to be there. I'm trying to it, appeal to a really broad audience. It will be there. It will be there. I feel like more people like Star Wars than like opera. So I'm just trying to appeal. That listen, more people that listen to this podcast. Actually, that might be true. That's definitely true. <laughs> I'm just trying to appeal to a broader market. Hashtag Star Wars. So, yeah. okay, so, so Gilda is kidnapped. Curtain. Rigoletto's upset. Yeah, a th- lot happens in Act One. Yeah, it does. Nothing but tunes, bangers, okay. as they say. So then, the Duke, who was not really involved in the kidnapping, he's kind of like he goes to the garden where Gilda was, and he's like, "Where's this lady that I loved so much?" Oh shit! And he's like, "Where's my lady?" Right. So, so Act Two, the Duke goes to the garden to see Gilda. She's not there, and he's like, "Ella mi fu rapita." She was stolen from me. Where has she gone? Oh. <laughs> Oh, and my. then, hmm. and then all of his cronies come up to him, or his like posse are like, "Hey, Duke, we stole Rigoletto's mistress." <laughs> he's like, "Oh yeah, what did she look like?" And then the Duke has this feeling. He's like, "Ooh, I think I recognize their description." <laughs> Ooh. Um, and then he's like, "Where is she? Uh, tell me where you've put her." And they like tell him because they're all confused. Like they think it's Rigoletto's mistress, and so the Duke runs off to try and find. Gilda, and he, I think he, like, legit thinks he's in love in this moment this week. Yeah, but, like, okay, fine. Yeah, he's like, oh, mighty love, mighty love is beckoning me, and he runs away. By love, he means his dick. Yes, lust. So the Duke is in lust. He's in lust. So what does he do when he sees Gilda? He takes the bag off. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind. Well, we don't see that yet. He runs off. That is kind of him. Yes, you're correct. He runs off to find her. So we don't actually see yet what he does when he finds her. Right. Okay. I hope he takes the bag off. <laughs> <laughs> so. What a gentleman. <laughs> what a kind sir. Right. So, oh, okay. God. So the Duke leaves looking for Gilda. Rigoletto comes on stage looking for Gilda. Mm-hmm. And then everyone in the court is like, ha ha, look at Rigoletto. Um, he's so concerned. Why is he so concerned? And then a page boy arrives with a message from the Duke's wife. Oh, excuse me? The Duke has a wife? I mean, it would make sense that a Duke would be married, but I never realized that. The Duchess. Oh, shit. I forgot about Das Duchess because we never see her. No, we never see her. She never says anything, but she writes She's off in the country living her best goddamn life. Right, and right. so staying away from staying her, staying away from husband. her STD riddled husband. Yes, and <laughs> she's basically written a letter saying, "Husband, where are you? I need to speak with you." And everyone in the court is like, "He's busy. He can't talk to you right now." He is giving me more peace. <laughs> so then, <laughs> all right. So his wife is like, "Hey, what's up? What's up?" Okay. And all of his servants are like, "He can't speak to her right now." I mean, why are they being weird? She knows what he's like. And then, and then Rigoletto realizes that this means that he's with a lady, and then Rigoletto suspects that that lady is Gilda. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And so then he just, like, loses it on the whole court, and he sings this rage aria, Cortigiani il razza danata.
rage. Rage Aria. And then he tries to force himself through the door into the room where the Duke is. And all of Screwing the servants stop him. and Because um, he doesn't want to see that. I think that's not why they stop him. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they don't know that it's his daughter. They still think right, it's his right, mistress. So right, they, right. they think it's funny. Anyway, so they all say that Rigoletto's gone crazy. He's mad. And then um, he does burst through, I think. And then Jilda like, runs into his arms and describes to her father what's happened to her, that she's been kidnapped, and he tries to console her. And then uh, it just so happens that while this is happening, Monterone, the old the old guy who gave the curse at the beginning, right. walks across the room as he's being led to prison. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Mother of <laughs> <laughs> This is my curse, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this opera is way more entertaining than I remember it being when I saw it. This is going to be incomprehensible. To what are you talking right about? <laughs> people know the plot of this opera. Come on. All right. Okay. Right. Curse, maledizione, whatever. Rigoletto's like, oh, shit. My daughter has been compromised. Her precious virginity, the only thing about her that's important, has probably been taken. And then Rigoletto's like, I'm going to rain revenge down on all of you. And as he's doing that, um, Gilda's like, but daddy, I love him. Girl, no. To be fair, I believe that when this was written, she was supposed to be like all of 14. And obviously she doesn't know a whole lot about the world. Yeah. Um, But that's how the act ends because it's this big ensemble scene with the court kind of mocking him. Rigoletto's like, I'm going to wreak revenge on all of you. And, and she's Gilda's like, don't like, I love him? Don't I love him? I love him. Don't hurt him. And he loves me and we're going to be together forever. Okay. Girl, Justin right. Bieber does not play that game. No. <laughs> curtain. Curtain. I'm so, I'm <laughs> no, like, just this, curtain. It's so, <laughs> right. It's funny. I mean, the, the Justin Bieber reference is really taken hold, and I, f- I find it hilarious. And also, like, I don't want people to think of Justin Bieber as a good representation of the Duke. Like, I, Justin, Justin. If you're listening. If you're listening, I really am sorry. I'm sure you're super nice. I know you just got married, and you're going to be happy forever, and that's fantastic. Um, did he get married? He did. Oh. oh. I was going to say, people are probably listening to this episode and thinking, like, when did they record this? Like, in 2012? How fucking dare you? Anyway, act three. Curtain, act three. Act, act, three. Three. act three. Okay. So we're we're back hanging out with Spadafuchile, right? Yes, the assassin, the hitman. And his sister, the sexiest mezzo. I had no idea that Madalena was Spadafuchile's sister. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, that yes. That's correct. I did not know that. Because she, like, she lures people in. Yeah, she's and part then of Spada his Fuchile schemes. kills them. She's the yeah. bait. And then Sparafuchile. Oh. Kills them. Yeah. It's a little whole family deal. Family package. I see. Family operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, okay. Keeping it in the family. Because who else can you trust at the end of the day, frankly? Right. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable in the, at least in the Las Vegas production, because it's like, She's like very sexualized, even. She does pole dance in that, which, frankly, I think needs to be considered more as an athletic art form because it really takes sure. a lot of muscle <laughs> control to be able to like actually pole dance. 
where you're like right, swaying right. yourselves up and over that pole. That takes a lot of strength. It's very and acrobatic. I, it's very acrobatic, and I think we should recognize that as such. But it's un, it's uncomfortable that Spotafood Chile like sends his sister to pole dance for this guy for the Duke. Right. But it's part of the biz. They know it's what part they're of doing. the biz. They have an arrangement. It's yeah. fine. It's not like Spotafood Chile is sitting there watching his sister like right. pole yep. dance for someone. Right. And mm-hmm. and this is the moment. Anyway, we've all been waiting for. Have we? <laughs> because the Duke sings La Donna Immobile The moment everyone's been waiting for The soundtrack to every pasta commercial La Donna Immobile <laughs> All about how women are fickle And whatever Let's have sex Yeah, Basically the context of the aria I love how sometimes La Donna Immobile People are like opera is such a high faluting elevated art form. What is this aria all about? And the response is just like, well, it's about boning chicks or like the Lachme duet is just like, oh, look at these flowers. They're pretty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes things. Or like that Pearl Fishers duet is like, we will be besties forever. forever. We're never going to let a girl get in between us because we're secretly in love with each other. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on. You don't see that? that oh, my God. Nice. That's a friendship that is like beyond. We'll talk about Pearl Fishers another time. Another day. Anyway, so La Donne Mobile. Before we even fucking talk about anything else, let's just listen to something. I want to say, let's do old school. Pavarotti. La Donne Mobile, go. La Donne Mobile, qual più al vento, dall'accento e di pensiero, sempre una mobile, leggiadro riso, il piatto e riso, e menzognero. La Donne Mobile, qual più So the whole reason that the Duke is in Spadafucile's lair is because Rigoletto has decided that he wants him killed. Yeah, Right, exactly. And the Duke sees Magdalena and he's like, oh, interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And Magdalena is like, cool, I am the bait and I know what I'm doing. So I'm going to seduce this idiot man and which she then proceeds to. To do. And while she's doing that, Rigoletto's bringing his daughter, like, to the window. Right. The whole point is he's going to show his daughter that this man that she's in love with is, in fact, this sort of cad who will fuck anything that is breathing on two legs. Um, and he doesn't right. love her. So, of course, this whole thing, you've got the quartet. The quartet happens. Yes. And Gilda, of course, is just not not really having it. She's basically like, right. I see it, but I'm not going to accept it. Like, I, love I see him. it, but I know, I know that he, I love him, and he loves me. And I see this happening, but I know that he loves me, right? Yeah. Girl, girl. <laughs> 
So after the quartet. So then Rigoletto's like, the only option is to like take her away from here. Right. Put physical mm-hmm. distance between her and right. the dude. Let's go to the country. Yeah. Gilda is not convinced that this dude that she's in love with is a dog, even though he is basically like dry humping another woman. But yes. <laughs> whatever. And Rigoletto's like, the best solution is for you to dress Just- as a man so that you can sneak away from here without anybody seeing you. Right. Which he should monitor more carefully because obviously he doesn't want to do it. So he's yeah. just like, be a good girl and do what your daddy says. He's and like, here's like, the clothes. Put them on. Disaster. Meet me in a little bit. Disaster. We're leaving. What happens? Disaster. What happens? So Rigoletto then goes uh, to the assassin and he was like, um, remember Sparafucile that you're going to murder like the first person that walks in this door. Because he wants it. He's, he's going to make sure it's the Duke, right? Yeah. Rigoletto's like, I'm going to make sure it's the Duke. You're going to murder him. Here's 20 scudi for your trouble. <gasps> 20 scudi? 20 scudi. Yes. It's always it's 20 scudi. It's always 20 scudi because I think it sounds better when you sing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of good vowels. Go on. So then uh, darkness is falling. A thunderstorm come, rolls in. It's really a great... Obviously. It's a great musical thunderstorm. You can hear the lightning. It is. Yeah, it is. It's very dramatic. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Kaboosh. Something like that. Yes, kaboosh. Kaboosh. <laughs> There's always someone in the pit, usually a percussionist, who's just like, kaboosh! Yes. And, and then the Duke decides that either, for whatever reason, he's not going to go home that night. He's like, I'm just going to sleep this off at Sparafuchile's. And Sparafuchile's like, yeah, you can go sleep in the upstairs room. Because Sparafuchile's like, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. Yes. <laughs> just like I did my wife. <laughs> what? Go on. It's un- so, unsubstantiated. So then, uh, Gilda, who obviously is still undyingly faithful to the Duke. Because she's an idiot. She's an idiot. Um, 
ends up walking through the door dressed as a man. Right, because she knows. She knows the plot, and she's like, I don't want the love of my life murdered, so I'm going to sacrifice myself. So she goes through the door dressed as a man, and Sparapuchile is like, the first person who walked through the door, derp 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 stab. Stab. Dead. I need 20 scooty. 20 scooty. 20 scooty. Ayo. <laughs> um, and yes. so then uh, he stabs her. She collapses. She's dead. She doesn't die right away, though. Oh, right, right. It's opera. We got to do it. Coming. Go on. So then uh, Rigoletto comes onto the scene, and he's like, it's time for me to pay Spada Fucile. And he's like, I want proof of that the, the dirty <laughs> deed has been done. Right. And... Um, and so he's like, give me the, the body in a sack. I'm going to throw it in the river. Lots of bags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then while he's talking to Sparta Fuchile, I guess the Duke's like sleepily in the upstairs room, like singing La Donne Mobile to himself. And then. Yeah. 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 And then Rigoletto has this moment where he's like, wait, if the Duke is singing, if, if I hear the Duke's voice singing, then he's Who's alive. Who's in the bag? Who is this person in the I bag? I mean, the bag budget. And Rigoletto is just like, who's in the bag? Who's in the bag? Who's in the bag? And so then he opens the sack and he discovers. Oh no, it's his daughter. It's his daughter who is still alive. Still alive, but on her dying breaths. And Right, enough dying breath to sing a duet for about seven minutes. Yes, it is like a seven minute long scene where. Rigoletto's holding his daughter who's dying in his arms and she's like very beautiful oh it's so beautiful and it's so sad because she's like daddy I I lied to you and I was wrong and now look what's happened and then so she essentially is like I love you but I also loved him and so I couldn't help myself right and she dies in his arms and then the opera ends with Rigoletto crying out La maledizion. But honestly, not the longest death scene in an opera, so. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but it's so tragic. It's really sad. It's very sad. But also, Gilda, why? Why? Right. She's in, She's very young and she's very innocent. She has no experience. I know. So she doesn't know any better. I know. She thinks she's doing a good thing, a noble thing, and really she's Giving her life for someone who, like, doesn't deserve it because he's awful. He's, he's the worst. like, a serial rapist. Yeah. So, that, the end. In, that, in a not nutshell, in a very long, winding explanation, is the plot and the musical highlights of Rigoletto. Of Rigoletto. Ayo. There it is. Wow, we got there. There it is. Yep. I'm looking at a picture that Naomi just pulled up of Victor Hugo, and he's posing in a way that can only be described as sassy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, make sure that make sure you go to operaafterdark.com and see this episode page oh, where you will find the sassy picture of Victor Hugo. Sass. Yeah. We'll also have some other content there and while you're at it if you could go on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on and leave a review we would a really good like review it. a nice review please yeah that would be great feel free to comment on on how inebriated everybody is i haven't uh, eaten a lot today kyle <laughs> right but as always thank you so much for listening to this episode of opera after dark make sure you're back with us next week we'll have another great episode of opera after dark and in the meantime, 
I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Filia dell'amore Pam 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 Whatever. Yeah. Um, did you know, fun fact, Franz Liszt wrote a piano solo version of this quartet, and it is delightful. I did know that. Yeah. L- Liszt. What a whore. Go on. <laughs> it's very flashy. It's very delightful. It's very, very, it's very hard crowd, to play. A crowd pleaser. Oh, definitely. <laughs> well, what did we say on that episode of Atlas? Panty dropper. Yeah. Yeah. Pantaloons being thrown. <laughs> pantaloons. Just pantaloons. Oh my gosh. Pantaloons. pantaloons. Okay. Yes.